Hello and welcome to another episode of Butterfly Kisses, a journey of spiritual transformation. I am Amy Gray Cunningham and I am your host. And today I have a very special guest. She has written a book called Misfit and How to Have an Expat. And for 40 years, she was an expert in real estate property management. However, in January of 2000, Kathy McDaniel became an ARDS survivor and a dark near-death experiencer. She toured many parts of hell, but does not necessarily recommend it. (laughs) And in her newly published book, Misfit and How to Have an Expat, she offers glimpses of dysfunctional family life before her NDE and after effects of such a life-twisting experience. In her book, she invites the reader to follow her tentative footsteps through hell and to share her encounter with unbelievable love in heaven. In addition, there are tips for living a happier, more peaceful life and losing one's fear of death and the afterlife. So please help me welcome Kathy. And Kathy, can you please tell our audience a little bit about who you are and your book? Because I'm sure I certainly will. And thank you, Amy, for having me on the program. It's it's quite an honor. I I appreciate it. Well, I had been asked by my dearest friend to help him uh, go through some a treatment for his leukemia in Seattle in 1999. We went up there and he and another caregiver and I helped him through the research program. Uh, It was supposed to last for about three to five months, but it actually took about eight. Uh, He was only 53 years old and very hale and hearty. So it was, to me, I always figured he would would pull out of it. Mm -hmm. But after months and months of constant trauma between the three of us back and forth to the hospital, him getting better, him getting worse. He did pass away and I was completely exhausted, emotionally drained, depressed. And within a month, my health had tanked. I caught a a virulent flu that was going around, um, something like uh, the COVID thing that's, that's happening now. And within a matter of days, I went from flu to pneumonia to ARDS, which is the acute respiratory distress syndrome, also known as lung failure. That's what most people die of when they get pneumonia or ARDS, uh, other SARS or any of that stuff. But anyway, I was put into a drug-induced coma and put on a ventilator and they, that, that took three weeks uh, in that, that place. They told me I was gonna be given something like white amnesia that would cause me not to remember anything that happened while I was in the coma and undergoing all these treatments. I said, sure, I didn't have any choice. So I was put into the coma and went to sleep. And then I woke up. And I was in a completely dark place. Uh, There was no sound. There was no movement. I thought I was in a closet or something. I I, I was terribly confused. And I was afraid to move because I couldn't tell if I was sitting or standing on something. And I just kind of waited. Eventually, the scene started to kind of lighten up. But it was a, a reddish, glowing sort of thing. And I I started feeling warm and it started to smell badly. And I I started hearing these like moans and shrieking out there in the the fog. And I, I thought, oh my God, this can't be good. And all of a sudden this voice just boomed out, seemed all around me. I couldn't tell if it was in front of me or back of me. And it just said, do you know where you are. And I thought, oh, I got a clue, but I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> and then this voice just became this maniacal laugh, something out of a Bella Lugosi movie. And I totally freaked. And I just turned and ran. I didn't care where I was going or what was going to happen. But I mean, that flight or, or fight route just, just, 
I had no fight in me. I had to flee. So that's my introduction to this place. And I didn't feel dead. I just felt like I woke up, you know, uh, <laughs> it's hard to explain. It just happens and your, your adrenaline goes. And I didn't know I didn't have a body, but you still feel like yourself. I never felt dead while I was there. Anyway, so I took off and then into the darkness, but it was like a light went on and I was in this almost a movie scene, but it didn't feel like a scene. It felt very real. And it, to me, to, to explain it now, it was like New York City after being hit by a horrible bombing raid and all these tall buildings, some of them were still standing, others were tipped over. There was broken concrete, big chunks of broken concrete, rebar sticking out of them. There was like fires here and there and smoke and and like I say, this screaming and and uh, I thought, oh, that's what happened. You know, there, there was a atomic bomb went off or something. So I I did what any ex-girl scout would do. I, I went for cover. So I tucked into, there was like a V-shaped two pieces of concrete. Again, this is all very real. And I tucked in there and ducked down and I thought, well, I'll get my bearings and maybe there's other people around. I looked and looked and I could hear this scuttling sound, like something large, a robot or big spider or something going by. So I had to keep ducking in to, to escape that sound. I didn't know what it was. I didn't want to know what it was. But I did see like a, a form in a crouch down in the, in, the, in the distance. And I just kind of yelled out, hey, do you want to get together and we'll help each other? I, I said something stupid like, I'll, I'll look for water. You look for sticks. We'll start a fire. And this voice came back and it was like, we are all alone here. Again, I, I didn't know what to make of it, but I thought I, I saw these other shadows coming toward me and there was some interchange with that. I, I, all this is in great detail in the book, as you know, yeah. but I, I thought I better make a run for it. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get over a barrier I was trying to, and I skid down as these things started moving in. But anyway, it was weird because now it's like, boom, the set has changed and now I'm in a different, completely different situation and, and area. I hadn't time to try and figure it out. It didn't make sense, but this is what was happening. And I found myself uh, with a demon in this huge blackberry patch. And that was the first time I had an indication I wasn't uh, on earth anymore. We, it was a big demon. And he told me that I had to despair, to give up, that I was never going to get out. And I said, no, I'm not a quitter. Um, I'm a fighter, and I don't know where I am or what's going on, but I'm not going to give up. I'm going to fight. And he says, okay, well, I'll give you a chance. He says, I'll give you a chance. I says, okay. And um, he says, I'm going to ask you to cut down all these blackberry bushes, vines, big, huge vines, as far as you can see. And then you, I'll give you a pass. I'll give you, you can get out. And I said, this guy's toying with me, you know? I thought, but I'll play, sure, if it's a chance. So he hands me these little kindergarten scissors that you cut paper with and laughs. So I yank the scissors from him and I get down, down as far as I could because all the branches are all around me and they got huge thorns on them. And I started chomping away at this one vine and I finally got through it and put it aside and it grew back. And I just looked at this demon and he's laughing. He thinks this is hysterical. And I just thought, expletive, I'm going to go ahead and keep going. You're not going to intimidate me. Well, then boom, I found myself in another place. And then I didn't get along with those people and I would not do what they said. And I would went to another place and I thought it was, it was going to send be endless, it seemed, but I wasn't going to give up. I thought, well, eventually I'll be able to escape. I'll find a door or somebody that I can partner with or something. So I didn't really feel like I had a choice. There were terrible situations, and it seemed that the more I gave them problems, the worse the situations became. One particularly horrible one was I found myself in this hospital corridor. It was very bright, which was unusual for that place. And at the end was a very huge demon. There was a door on either side of me. So I 
he came storming down the hall uh, with this, I don't know, truncheon or whatever those things are you use in prisons to beat up prisoners and came screaming. So I started to go to either room, but he was really quick and all of a sudden he was right there. And he said, you've got a job. And I thought, job? And he says, yes, you're to go in that room. You're to take what they give you and you're going to go across this hall and I'm going to be watching and you're going to go in that room and you're going to put that item down and come back and do it again and again. And that's your job. And I thought, well, I'm going to just play along and see if there's some way I can get out of this. So I went in that room. And on earth, I had been a person that was very much pro-life. I had worked for a pro-life group. In this big room is all these gurneys with women on them. With They're laying on their backs. Their knees are parted. There's drapes and there's blood on everything. And there's men and there are people, doctors hunched over in front of their... They're doing abortions is what I figured out. And uh, I, I thought, what is, you know, is that hell? Yeah. But again, uh, one of the doctors raised his hand, his bloody hand, and, and, and I just looked at him and he turned around and he says, get over here. So I went over and he handed me what he had taken it out at this destroyed little baby, put it in my arms and said, go. So I was in shock and I just went back in the hall and the demon just pointed the other, he says, put it in there. And I thought, oh, you don't have time to think, you just do. So I went in the room, it's like a Costco warehouse, just full of mounds and mounds of these little desecrated bodies. Oh, I, I, I put the little baby down and I came back in the hall and I said, I'm not gonna do that. And he says, yes, you are. And uh, in the meantime, I, I had, I'm, I'm, this is in the book, I did see a nurse come out of there and uh, I asked her what was going on. And she said something to do with, they're telling these poor women that they're having uh, an exam, but they're really doing abortions. And that, that, that was so weird to me. So that just flashed back into my mind now while we're talking about it. I, I told the demon, I'm not, I can't do that. I'm just not going to do that. And he says, yeah, well, if you don't, it's going to be worse. And I says, I'm not. And again, boom, I was in another place. But this went on many, many times. And in between times, sometimes I'd find myself on this road. It was very dark with some, you know, like I say, the glow in the background. Occasionally there'd be like a pile of rocks or something, but it was hard to see. And, and I'd stumbled along and it was I joke in the book, you have to keep your sense of humor. That's the thing that's the worst thing about Hal. There, nobody has a sense of humor. And that's the only <laughs> way I seem to get through life. That's my family way of dealing with disasters is make something funny out of it. But I was on this road and it, and it just seemed like I thought maybe this is a giant treadmill because I never seemed to really get anywhere uh, except that it would it would veer off sometimes and I'd, I'd see a scene and one time in hell, it was very weird. Again, I didn't know I was in hell, but I saw two people that were alive on earth. I interacted with them and neither one of the situations went well. The second one was, the first one was with a relative. The second one was with a relative. And this one had to do with coming upon this scene, uh, like a big picnic area, but the very formal, tables just full of wonderful food and of course I didn't know I was dead so I was feeling hungry tired thirsty and 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 I thought oh wow you know it's a place to stop off maybe I can get a bite to eat well it was a, a relative of mine and uh she was an excellent cook in real life and so she was making this huge banquet and and I said oh you know said her name I said do you think you'd just spare me just a just a small something to eat and she said, no, this is, this is for the important people. And I thought, what? <laughs> What's that all about? But I thought, oh, all right. I'll, you know, so I went on. Later, when I got back, I had a message to give her. And that was interesting, too. But at the time, it just seemed normal because I really thought I was still alive. I was confused that she was there, but didn't think much about it. The thing, probably the worst part was when I was going down this road and there seemed to be like a town or a village or something that I came upon and 
And that was interesting because I hadn't seen anybody else walking on the road, but I got this really dark, horrible feeling about it. The people, I guess they were people, used to be people, could have been people, were kind of shuffling around. I don't know if you've ever seen Walking Dead, kind of yeah. like that. Everybody's in rags and they don't look well. They're, they just don't look healthy and they're muttering and stuttering and, and stumbling. And I thought, I don't want to interact with these people. They're dangerous. And so I kept my eyes down and I kind of skirted a group and tried to keep under the radar. Something clicked and they stopped and started gathering around me. And oh, that was so terrifying. Again, nobody to help me. I was just helpless and it was a group of men I could determine because I was looking up, but they had like skin falling off and, and sores and, and smelled bad. And, and as a group, they attacked me and it was a, a gang situation. And, you know, people ask me, well, wait a minute, if you didn't have a body, how do you know it hurt? How could you feel that they were touching you? How, or, yeah. you know, and it was, I wondered about that for a very long time. And I don't know if you've rather ever read Roland Morello's books, but they're wonderful. And there was one that I picked up, oh, not too long ago, just before I wrote the book. And he's, there's a passage in there. He's talking about the Nazis and the Jews and a priest that's helping get the Jews out of Germany and the Nazi police find out he's doing that. And they come to the church and they, they say to him, we know what you're doing. And when we take you in, we're not going to take you in right now, but when we take you in, we're going to tear off your fingernails. We're going to use electric prods. We're going to pull out your teeth one by one. And they gave this description of what they were going to do to him. And they said, but not today. And the priest says, there's something about evil that the thought of it, the speaking of it, the thinking about it, you feel that even though they never touch it. And that, that was like, boom, that's exactly how I felt. Mm. It felt like all that was happening. So it, it just did. I experienced yeah. So when the last one kicked me and, and leaned over and looked into my face and said, uh, uh, we all have AIDS and now you will get it. And the bad thing is you can't die. You will just get worse and worse. And and there I was, kind of tried to pull myself together. And, and this demon lady came up and says, you're with us. And I just got up and went where she, she told me. And there was a bunch of other women that were in horrible shape like myself. And we followed her through an incredible snowstorm. And people say cold as hell. And that's a real thing. <laughs> I guess we were about chest deep in the snow, single file. I mean, all this stuff took time and there's no time there. So you can't, can't measure how long things are happening. You just experience it constantly at an eternal now is all I can tell you. But uh, that led to another situation. And as you know, from reading a book, uh, thank God it was the last situation, but I didn't know it at the time because of a simple uh, Christmas Carol, I found myself in bright light and full of love and joy and peace and happiness, like other people tell you, is not describable with human words. But it, and, and, and when that happened, everything else just left my mind, my existence. And you're just filled with, with this wonder and awe. And uh, I was just aesthetic. And the fun thing was I looked up and saw my, my friend uh, who had died a month earlier, the one that I helped, my best friend. And uh, he was there. And he looked wonderful and, and healthy and young, wearing the sweater I bought him. And I thought, 
oh, wow, he doesn't know he's dead. And he just laughed at me. And I thought, oh, well, if he's dead, I must be dead. And I mean, hallelujah, I made it. I'm here with him and this is so exciting and I was so happy. And then he, he said, now, Mary Kay, you've got too much left to do. And just then I flashed on and looked over at this big table with a big, huge book open. And I remember him showing me things in it. And I don't remember what they are. They, most of the time, they don't let you remember what you see up there. Because <laughs> that would be cheating. <laughs> and um, I said, you know, I had said, oh, no, that's going to be too hard. I want to stay here with you. And so uh, he just shook his head. And I just said, no, no, you know, gosh darn it. After all of this, who wants to leave here? And I was gone. I was sent down like this little stream thing. It was a beautiful meadow and it wasn't heaven. It was like, all I could think about later was God knew I was so angry. He gave me a little time out, little, little settle me down time <laughs> before I got back to earth. But I, I did wander down this beautiful stream and I met three ladies that gave me messages I had to give to uh, someone who I would marry. Then I woke up in the, in the hospital and uh, I had no idea where I was. I couldn't move. I couldn't, I was too hot. Uh, uh, there was all these people clapping and cheering. And, and I thought, what? And it took me a couple of minutes to think, oh, expletive, I'm back. I'm in this body and I can't move. And who are these? Why is my family all excited? And then my daughter came up and says, oh, mom, you've been really sick. You've been in a coma for three weeks. We didn't think you'd make it. We, we had this prayer circle going all around the globe, praying for you to come back. And I thought, I will get you for this. <laughs> How could you do that to me? So I couldn't speak. Thank God. Still had the trach and all this other stuff going on. I, I thought, this is an, you know, all this. I can't go back to heaven till I get all this stuff done and I can't move. What a, what a nasty trick who played this on me. But, you know, I, I, I was stuck. The thing then that started to haunt me was, you mean I have to die again? You know, wonder if I go to hell again. The demons are waiting for me. I, oh, it was awful. Suffice to say, it was awful. Why do you think you went to hell first? What was the purpose? That took me about 10 years to figure out when I finally found IONS, International Association of Near-Death Studies. I couldn't find anybody in that 10 year period that would listen to me about, nobody wanted to hear about hell. I mean, that, that made it a supposition that they could go to hell. Mm -hmm. And here I was this good Catholic girl and people kept saying to me, what did you do? And I said, I, I, I wasn't perfect, but I didn't murder anybody. Uh, I can't explain it to you. And, and so they'd say, oh, well, it was the drugs. You know, you had a dream. And I knew it wasn't a dream. It wasn't drugs. But I, I didn't have anybody to, to, no resources. So I started writing it out on paper. I thought maybe if I can just get this, whatever it is, out of my, my mind. Yeah. And I didn't realize it was in my soul. Uh, I can go on with life. So I, I wrote and wrote. That didn't help. And finally, I threw all these synchronicities, I did find ions and get up there. And then the whole thing started to make sense in the fashion because I would go to the meetings and people, the speakers and the, you know, people there would, oh, they'd tell the glorious stories of the angels and knowing everything and being with God. And I'm going, hmm, <laughs> there are people like me, you know, I don't belong here. I did happen across Howard Storm's book, My Descent into Death, and he had a pretty nasty experience. And I thought, good for you, Howard. You spoke up. You know, who else? I got Googled everybody I could find and started reading books. Nancy Evans Bush was great. And um, finally, I started, I went to a couple conferences and, 
and there was more and more people that had them. And it turns out I got in a, something on IONS where people were looking for stories. And it turns out that the statistics ranged from 4% to 20% of people who have near-death experiences have these dark or disturbing ones. They just don't want to talk about it. And it's understandable, but they're suffering out there thinking they're alone, that they're damaged or something. So my my deal now is uh, with IONS, it's just recently started. I've got a, a sharing group. They have, you go to IONS, you can go to a sharing group almost every day. They've got speakers, they've got uh, resources you can't believe. Anybody that's interested in near-death experiences or has had one needs to go there. But I've got a sharing group now for the dark or distressing near-death experience people. And we've had two meetings so far, it's once a month. And we had one last night and there's five, six people that showed up, but all of them said, thank God, there's a venue someplace where I can go and tell my story and not be looked down upon or questioned. And it, it just felt so good to me, I'm telling you. They're out there and that's part of why I'm doing this too, not only to tell people what I learned there, which was, you don't have to go to hell. But I learned at IONS and my understanding of prayer and, and meditation since then, that as a, as a good Catholic girl, I was taught that there was purgatory and hell and heaven. And very few people other than you know St. Francis go straight to heaven. Those are the saints. But the, the rest of us, we, we uh, go to purgatory that's figured out by a very complicated math process that you you keep your whole life. You know, you get 300 days off of purgatory if you say a rosary and you lose 300 days if you steal an apple. I mean, it's that's a little oversimplified, but that's what you were taught. You know, you, you said a lot of rosaries. So somehow later I thought, God, I, I, I screwed up my math somewhere <laughs> that I ended up, you know, tell people don't, you know, a lot of rosaries. But what it was is I expected to go. And I lived my life with the realiza my self-realization that I would go to purgatory. It's just for how long. So I wasn't disappointed. I went to purgatory as planned. And I find now that God is all loving, all forgiving, never condemns anybody. But we have free will, so we can choose to go if we want to. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have to go. Uh, you just get that out of your mind and, and know that God is all loving and forgiving. The other thing that came up is that we choose our lives. You know, we all are little pieces of God and we're all souls and we choose to come down. And some people say, why would we do that? And somebody else told me, well, you're in heaven. Everything's perfect. You know everything. Your, your consciousness is all part of everybody else. Wouldn't that be kind of fun to go on your own, kind of like a go off the grid a little bit and go down and see what it is that like humans experience, uh, free will and, and choosing good, choosing evil, cho learning what empathy is about. And you can only do that through suffering. Uh, learning what, you know, there's so much to learn here. It's like school, it's great. So you choose to go down and we've all got our little soulmate group or a big soulmate group. I've got a big one. And we choose to go down and interact in each other's lives. It's, it's fun when you look at life that way. It's like a big play. And, mm -hmm. and when you get down here uh, and you get in a human body and you have free will, you're like a mad dog in a meat house, as my dad used to say. <laughs> it's all these things you want to try. And some of them probably aren't in your best interest or they hurt people, or mm -hmm. they cause you to get ill, but that's your free will and you choose them. But what happens, and again, from my IONS people that stayed long enough to get a life review, that's where you get to see how your life went. You get to see exactly every second that you spent on, on, the, uh, on the earth and your good choices, your not so good choices, and then they flip it around and you get to feel how it was to interact with you as the receiver of your intentions. So the people that you love, the people that you hate, the people that you hurt, the people that you blessed, you get to feel all that. 
And that's not a judgment. You have little angels guides there with you saying, well, you could have done a little better there. Or boy, you shown over here, but it's never a judgment. And you're never made to feel bad. You're just, you know, you, you learn. It's, it's your, your final exam and you get to, everybody passes. So yeah. that, that gave me the ability to look at my life in a completely different way to instead of saying, oh, God, why did you cause this disaster in my life? Why did you kill my little girl? Why did this happen? I can say, wow, that was interesting. I wonder what lesson I was supposed to learn there, because I don't want to have to come back and learn this one again. I want to <laughs> learn it this time, you know, um, and that's that's made a big difference. I, I don't uh, I, I'm not a victim. I love that that feeling. And that's another thing to kind of gently put out there for people. God didn't cause any of this chaos in your life. Be kind of gentle and know that you picked it and that we are all living what we chose. And it's okay. Don't take it personally. Uh, experience it to the best you can. And that's a huge lesson. So that's two things I think I bring back. You said in your book, um, in chapter 95, and I'm going to quote you here, which is that you were having a conversation with God in your head. God says, spirits go to earth as people and other planets to learn lessons. They choose what they wish to learn and arrange for many of their soulmates to meet up with them along the journey to, in order to assist each other. They, they do their best and return to be with me. And then I've sent many good souls over the millennia to be examples and to share spiritual teachings to make the journey easier. A lot of folks think that it, they just made it harder and then you interrupt, but do you mean, and he says, right, you chose this life, these challenges, the people you have interacted with and the upcoming events you will experience. I understand when you call on me to save you from these from your own pre-life choices, but if I change the course of any of these events, it would thwart your original intentions. As you mentioned, you have free will and I don't interfere. I do, however, shower you with grace to keep you going and love you dearly for, you, for your courage and tenacity. You've taken on a lot in the life you chose this time around. To me, that's, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, God loves us. And we're his, we're her, his, her children. And if you have your own kids, you, you know, you have to let them make their own mistakes. Um, you love them anyway. And if they need a hug, you're there for them. Uh, that's how I feel about God. Yeah. That just, it just warms my heart because we do have free will. We're no longer victims when we think of it that way. No. Things that happen. And... Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, life lessons sometimes that we choose are not easy. No, but you know, if you live long enough, <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but almost every time something that I've considered a disaster, uh, I can look at with time and say, wow, you know, if that hadn't happened, then this wouldn't have happened. And this is a very good thing. That, that is rewarding. We don't always get to see that. I think in this life, but it is, um, it's a wonderful thing when you, it, it dawns on you that all things do work for good. Yes. How has your understanding of religion changed through your experience with your death? That was huge for me. I mean, I was a cradle Catholic and always went to Catholic schools and to experience God the way I did blew everything out of the water uh, as far as my teachings and the Bible. And it was difficult. It's still difficult. Eventually, I got to where I couldn't go to church anymore because I felt that I couldn't say the prayers. Something mm -hmm. as simple as Jesus rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of the of God, the Father Almighty. I mean, there's no thrones. There's no scepters. There's no angels standing around on either side of God. That's 
our minds, our little human minds are so small, we, we have to put it into context while we're here, well, something that we can understand, but that's mostly metaphor. And so to be stuck in the metaphor is very confining and um, limiting. And so to have this understanding now that religion to me is just constricting. There's too many human-made rules. There's ex it's exclusive rather than inclusive. If you aren't baptized here, you go to purgatory or limbo or wherever, you know, South Dakota. I don't know. You, it's it's just it's not true. It's just not true. And and burdening people with all of this is just not what God wants at all. It's it's embarrassing. I can't do it anymore. But I, I understand that people need it and I don't say they shouldn't do it. I'm not saying that that's not their path. That's not what they chose. Um, and if that leads them to God, I'm, I'm very happy for you. But if the reality is, is much more than that. And uh, spirituality to me is my route. Yeah. Not religion. I was just on a podcast the other day and I was talking about how I, as a young child, I, I had a hard time envisioning God. And what I saw of him was this old white man with a long white beard sitting on a throne and he would hand out, you know, goodies if you did good, or he would shoot down fireballs if you did bad. And there was like angels beside him telling him, oh, well, Amy did this or Amy did that or, you know, and that's the way I perceived based off of what I heard. And it scared me. Mm -hmm. And I was afraid of, of God. I didn't see him as all loving and all kind. I saw him as very judgmental and very demanding. And I never mean, like, yes, like I could live up to that. Now I have a completely different view, viewpoint of, of who God is. I, I just, I feel like we're all a part of God. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I use the analogy of um, an ocean. We're all part mm -hmm. of the ocean and God takes a ladle and pulls out the ocean <laughs> glass and just because we're in the glass doesn't mean that we're any less part of the ocean. Correct. That's ocean what I feel too. Yeah. So we're just in a glass. We're in this glass. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing there, there, part of the reason, well, the reason I put heaven expat in my book is Patrick, my friend that I, I cared for and died before I did. Uh, he had, he worked for a big company and they'd sent him to China one time and another time to India. And he was an expatriate when he was over there. And the expats would to get, get together in the, in the local bar and, and, and commiserate. And, and I asked him what time, what's, what is an expat? And he said, well, that's somebody that lives in one country, but they, they go to another country to work. And when their work is finished, then they go to their home country. So that just dawned on me that we're all heaven expats. We start in heaven, we come here to work, we go home. And so that's that's why I put that there. I was gonna ask you that because I was like, that's an interesting title, expat. Yeah. I love that. Now, one other question, and you know, are you afraid to die again? <laughs> I love that question. I would love to say, oh no, 100% no, but I'm back in this human body with this human mind and this human stuff. So about 1% of me still says, ooh, I hope I'm right. You know, <laughs> I, you know I'm not going to lie to you. 99% of me says, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go straight up and, and see Patrick and, and my dad and everybody. And it's going to be fine. And But yes, as a human being, uh, there's still this, this little bit. And I'm sure God's going, oh, my God, <laughs> this woman. But yeah. I, I, I can't wait to be there. I know I, my dad passed of COVID and, uh, in, in January and um, he, what a sweetheart. He was 97 and he's, uh, you know, it, it started my book with his chapter of how my family became Catholic and he was an atheist to begin with. So we had over the last, since I wrote the book uh, and he got the first chapter in it, uh, we had a lot of conversations about dying and and he was a pilot in World War II. So I had asked him not too long before I passed. I says, okay, dad, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? 
He says, fly. And I says, oh, cool. You know, and he says, sometimes in an airplane and sometimes like Superman, you know, I thought oh, he was so cute. And he was kind of ready to go um, because, you know, he, he said, I'm getting ready to go. I'm a little concerned. I, I really need you to, you know, reinforce what's going to happen. And I says, well, don't worry about it. I've worked with hospice and stuff since I got back. And I says, they say that, that, you know, somebody always comes to get you. It could be one person. It could be, you know, 20 people, who knows, but people will they'll come get you and you'll see them and, and they'll invite you over. And, but I said, they usually come from the ceiling for some reason or in a corner. And even people at hospice, hospice will tell you the same thing. They've, a lot of those people have done it so long. They see the people coming. And so, uh, uh, I couldn't go down. I live up in Washington. My dad was in California. And, you know, talk about a blessing. My mom, dad, sister, and brother-in-law all got COVID at the same time. And you'd say, oh, what a disaster. No, he got to go home to die because he would have died by himself in the hospital had they not all had COVID. So they he, they brought him, yes, they brought him to my sister's house, set up a you know, the bed and the oxygen and all that stuff. And my mom was there and, and they were there when he died. And they said he was, knew he was going and he was a little anxious and he kept doing the oxygen and then he'd take it off and they were holding his hands. And, and all of a sudden he just stopped and he looked up at the ceiling and he got this big smile on his face and he closed his eyes and left. Wow. So they said, oh my God, he saw somebody. Somebody came to get him. And it was so cool. And I tell the story later is that uh, my publisher was a medium and she and I never talked about spiritual stuff, just about the book. And a couple of days later, she and I were discussing something and she said, all out of the blue, she said, who's Mary? And I said, me? And she says, no, the other Mary. And I said, my dad's mom. And she goes, oh, okay. I said, why? She's mad. And then she says, all right, do you have an aunt? And I says, yes. And she says, deceased? I said, yes. I said, what's this about? She said, well, my dad wanted to, me to tell you that his aunt, his sister and his mom came to get him. And he wanted you to know that. Aww. And I said, oh, and she says, was he a pilot or something? I says, yeah. And he says, oh, okay. He said, also to tell you that the takeoff was bumpy, but he landed safely. <laughs> so I knew it was him. That's that's so cool. That's so that cool. is awesome. I love that. <laughs> so yeah, he's over there. They're all over there. They're waiting for us. I like to joke that um, my soul group's going to meet in the bar, and we're going <laughs> to free hors d'oeuvres, all the wine you can drink, you know, and we're going to sit around and talk about our lives and how we interacted. And oh, I was so angry when you did such and such, and and wasn't that funny when you know. I, it just gives you something to look forward to because it's eternity and you'll always have your friends. And I love too, that I had heard before, but this is true that sometimes you you're on in life and you're at a cocktail party or you're at the library or wherever you are and you're introduced to somebody or you're sitting next to them and they say, don't I know you from somewhere? And you say, I don't know from where do you work at Safeway? No. Do you go to Holy Cross Church? No. Well, I, I know you. And they say, well, I know you too. And that's the clue. That's one of your soulmates checking in. You agreed to that beforehand. You know, maybe that person was going to be a, a big influence in your life, or maybe they were just going to say hi when they're passing through. So we're never alone here. You know, sometimes you feel alone, but you're not, you've got all your soulmates. I had one lady say, there's no alcohol in heaven. <laughs> Maybe not your heaven. I <laughs> <laughs> mine. <laughs> I love a good Chardonnay. <laughs> <I do. laughs> well, since we've met, it you know it's very possible that we are extended soulmates. I mean, you don't you don't run into people and have an exchange like this unless it was pre-planned. So yeah, nice to meet you finally. Yeah, nice to meet you. I'm glad we met. <laughs> yes, I actually met um, my a really good friend of mine, Dana. I remember the first time I met her, she ran a, a her own restaurant, her and her husband did. And um, I can remember walking in and it was like, she was standing there at the, the, the counter, greeted us. And I just wanted to run up and give her a hug. <gasps> and I was just like, it was like my long last best friend in the whole wide Ooh, world. Wow. And I thought to myself, if I hug this lady, she's probably going to call the police. You know? 
And then we met uh, several years later at a, at another function and immediately we connected and uh, still really what a blessing. Yes. But I'll never forget meeting her at uh, her restaurant and immediately yeah. feeling that connection. Like I wanted to just hug her. Yeah. yeah. She, That's fun. That yeah, happens to me too. There, there's things that like people say, well, you, did you bring back gifts, you know, and all that. One of the things that happens for me is I have this ministry that uh, I'll be sitting a lot of times just on the plane. I travel a lot back and forth to see my mom. And invariably, there'll be somebody at the counter when I'm sitting in the waiting room and you know waiting for to get on the plane that's kind of making a fuss or, uh, and you kind of go, oh, dear God, don't mind that person sitting next to me on the plane. <laughs> Here they go, <laughs> right next to me. And I think, okay. So, and then it turns out that we'll start talking and uh, other times it's people who are very quiet that sit down and I think, oh, thank heavens, I'm gonna be able to read my Kindle and they start talking. But it ends up after the two hour flight that we've talked about, they've either said, oh, I just came from my mom's funeral or, oh, I've got this problem with this or that. And it always comes to back to me telling my story about being in heaven and hell and how wonderful it is and all that. And they say, you know, I. I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't run into you today. You know, wow. I really needed to hear this. And I even had a couple ladies that, that walked me down to the baggage claim area and, and one introduced me to her husband and says, oh my God, this lady saved my life. I, I'm always amazed, but it, I, I go, I get to check one off my list. That means I'm closer to going home, man. So Bring them on. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully all my listeners are going like, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> well, what Again. suggestions would you give the listeners for a peaceful life? I mean, to make it to heaven instead of hell. I asked God that a couple of years ago. I, uh, and you ask, are you sure you're going to, to heaven and not to hell? And that, that, and that creeps in. And I say, all right. I said, God, listen, I, I really need things. I'm what is it? Left brain, right brain. I'm never sure. I need a list. I I know the Bibles there. What everything? Give me something little that I can remember because my memory's starting to go. And it took a while, but the first one morning I woke up and I heard, "Loving and kind, loving and kind, loving and kind." I thought, okay, okay. And all day long I thought, okay, I got it. I see things. I'd see be kind to people. This is a loving experience. So I thought, okay, all I got to do is be loving and kind. A couple of months later. I heard merciful and forgiving. Okay, loving, kind, merciful, forgiving every day. Okay. Later on, I got two more. Loving, kind, merciful, forgiving. encouraging. Oh, seeing how my brain, I'm tired. Sorry about it. loving, kind, merciful, forgiving, encouraging, grateful, encouraging, grateful, encouraging. Okay, grateful is good. Then came non-judgmental, zing, <laughs> and useful. And I thought, useful, okay. So now when I, anybody buys my books, I put the, I've got a little book marker and it's on the back. So, and I, and I you know, like I said, I memorized it. And every morning I've got my nice picture of Jesus, that one that little girl drew, uh, uh, heaven can heaven is for real there was a little boy mm -hmm. that yeah anyway it's a great picture I sent away for it I highly recommend it but every morning I get up in the morning I say dear Jesus help me to be loving kind merciful forgiving encouraging grateful non-judgmental and useful and that's how I start my day and then if I run into a, a situation you know my friends driving me nuts or my mother's on my nerves or whatever I say okay I remember that just loving and kind. And if everybody did that in the whole world, heaven wow. right here. <laughs> no, it's simple as what Jesus taught. Everybody taught that. Just be loving and kind. And just try, just try. You know, you can't fail this test, but it makes it easier on you and on everybody else. The greatest of these are love. Right. And God is love. Remember in kindergarten, I mean, I mean, first grade or whenever we had our catechism is, I, I remember that is, is what is God? God is love. Where is God? God is everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I got to know, what do you have to do? Uh, 
You just love God with your whole heart and your neighbor as yourself. It always comes to back to those simple two things, loving and kind. So it's just, just another reminder. Well, I wanna thank you for sharing your story with us today. And one last question that I always ask all my guests at the end of the show, if you had a moment to sit on a park bench for an hour with one person, be it dead or alive, who would that be? And what would you talk about? Hmm. I, I really am looking forward to talking to Jesus, to tell you the truth. And with Jesus, it's not so much, I've never shared this before on a podcast, but my thing with Jesus is I love to dance. Mm. And I, I just ask him, save me a dance. I want to dance with Jesus. When I was talking to Jesus about saving me a dance, I was concerned because I didn't know if I wanted it to be a fast dance, you know, a lot of boogie mm -hmm. woogie moves or a slow dance. So I asked him, you know, I don't know which one I want. And he said, how about you let me lead? Oh. And I thought, oh my God, that is just like for my whole life. <laughs> Why don't you just let me lead? Wow. Isn't that That's cool? Pretty powerful statement there. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you very much. This has just been really fun. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Butterfly Kisses, a journey of spiritual transformation. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. This way you won't miss it when a new episode is released. Also join me on the Facebook page at Butterfly Kisses Podcast. Here we can continue the conversations we've been discussing on these podcasts, and you can also ask questions of our guests as well. Also, if you're interested in learning more about Akashic Record readings, you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with me on the Facebook page, or you can do so by visiting my website at amygraycunningham.com. Again, thank you, and remember, always spread your gorgeous wings, my friend, and fly. Until next time, see ya.